An AJC poll shows Donald Trump's strength in Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. Despite Donald Trump's mounting legal problems, he is showing dominance in polls of Georgia Republican voters. I'm Bill Nygut. Fannie Willis already has many complications in prosecuting her case against Donald Trump and his 18 co-defendants. But now a national poll shows that the Fulton DA may have a hard time selecting a jury as well. I'm Tia Mitchell in Washington. We'll also be talking about how a Georgia Republican wants to defund the DA. And Georgia lawmakers are pushing a similar effort at the state capitol. I'm Patricia Murphy. We've got a packed show, but before we begin, we'll talk about how one of our hosts had a quick trip to ABC Studios. Shani B, do you have the audio? Patricia, you're in Georgia, obviously, and and covering (laughs) politics. Give us a sense of what it was like down there this week. We obviously talked about politics, but talk about the Fulton County Jail. When he drove through those gates, I said it was like half of a Trump rally because he had all of his Trump supporters there and a little bit like a funeral. This long procession and you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody knew this was no joke. This was deadly serious. That was our co-host Patricia Murphy (laughs) on this week, uh, uh, this Sunday. Patricia, I know it's been a long time dream of yours to take part in a Sunday program. So did it live up to what you had in mind? Greg, it exceeded all of my expectations. I mean, I don't, I, I really do want to play it cool in this moment. And I really played it super cool in Washington. But I mean, this was like my, an original bucket list from when I was about 12 years old, because I mean, I was not a normal child. I literally used to watch David Brinkley host this week on ABC and Cokie Roberts and Sam Donaldson were on as guests. And I was in my mind, literally, I thought, maybe someday and I actually never thought that that would happen. I mean, I can't tell you how much I was nerding out in DC. So it was really a thing. And I spent the night in a hotel completely alone. And any parents will understand why that (laughs) is so luxurious. So soup to nuts exceeded all expectations. Greg, thank you so much. And Greg, I have a little treat for you because while I was in Washington, D.C., there was also somebody of great import declaring you a national treasure. Greg Bluestein, um, <laughs> politics reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a national treasure at this point. As my face lit, turned bright red on national TV. <laughs> that was Rachel Maddow. And of course, we, did, we have not pulled all of Tia's 162,000 clips from CNN or Bill's <laughs> multiple broadcasting awards. But, you know, just suffice it to say, it's been, it's been a week for all four of us on this show. We're a fancy bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia, you were just great on this week. I was so glad I got to see you. And it gave me one more reason to feel proud. I'm now an ajc or <laughs> Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm back down to earth and in the carpool line. So every, all is back to normal. Thank you very much. And Tia, I don't know about you, but when I was 12, I was dreaming of being a Braves first baseman, maybe not going on, the, uh, <laughs> uh, on Sunday programs, but it's pretty cool that Patricia was. Well, I don't know, because by the time I was 12, I was trying to be the next Oprah. So I'm with Patricia. Yep. (laughs) Well, we invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This one is going to be packed. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. 
You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We're here to talk about exclusive polling the AJC has just put out involving the 2024 race for president. Because former President Donald Trump, no surprise here, has a dominant lead over his Republican rivals, despite the fact that Georgia is the home of some of his most humiliating setbacks. This is a poll that suggests that Donald Trump's mounting legal problems, including the indictment in Georgia, hasn't really damaged his comeback bid, at least among Republican voters in the 2024 primary. Just listen to these numbers. Trump led the Republican field of contenders with 57% in the poll of likely GOP voters. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was a distant second place with just 15% of support. Every other contender was mired in the single digits, and about 14% of respondents were undecided. Uh, Bill, keep in mind that this poll was done entirely after the Fulton County indictment a couple weeks ago, and it showed that Donald Trump held double-digit advantages in every single category that we, vo- that we polled, wealthy, the poor, the highly educated, those without high school degrees, the young, the not-so-young, every single block of voters, Donald Trump dominates. Yeah, I, I think um, that if you are a Trump supporter or you work for the Trump organization campaign, you would see the glass is full because of that extraordinary lead he has over DeSantis. Even in a matchup, what is the, in a two-way uh, hypothetical, Trump is 33 points ahead of Ron DeSantis if the two of them were to face off against one another. 84% of Republicans say that the charges here against Trump are political. But but I have to say, and I'd love to hear the rest of you on this, I have to say there's a glass half full or, or a, a portion of this as well. 37% said they would not vote for a convicted felon. And 36% of Republicans now say the indictments make Trump weaker versus Biden. And, and here's the reason I think that there's some uh, something interesting about that. None of these trials has even begun yet. And when the trials do begin, as evidence starts emerging, as witnesses begin testifying, is it possible that that 37% who say they won't vote for a convicted felon or they think that the indictments alone make Trump weaker, is it possible those numbers could grow? Trump is still far and away the favorite, but I wonder if there's some vulnerability in there. Patricia, what do you think? Well, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know how to characterize it as half full or half empty. I will say 40% of the respondents here said they would vote for a convicted felon um, for president. And that was a lot higher than I expected it to be. Because also in this poll, it shows that a significant majority of Republicans put law and order very close to the top of their priority list, way over something like kind of something like wokeness. That was actually how, how it was phrased in the poll. So they questioned uh, law and order versus wokeness, which, what's important. It wasn't even close. I mean, gigantic majority said they are more focused and find it more important to focus on law and order. Um, at the same time, 40% would vote for a convicted felon. I think the most important piece of this in terms of um, seeing where Donald Trump's support lies is that 70% of these respondents either think that he would be the most or one of the most um, competitive against Joe Biden. And 94% think that the country is on the wrong track. So I think to simplify this, a lot of times I think we in the media, and I will put myself in this bucket, we act like we're trying to find the Rosetta Stone or crack the code to a bank vault. It's not that complicated in some ways. If almost everybody in this poll thinks that this is on the wrong track as a country and nearly three fourths think that Donald Trump is the strongest candidate against Joe Biden, that's where they're going. Okay, I surrender. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not talking about you in the media. I'm talking about me in the media. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. (laughs) Tia, you covered Florida politics for a long time, too, uh, before you started covering Georgia politics. So listen to this. I mean, in a hypothetical two way matchup against Donald Trump's strongest rival, Ron DeSantis, Trump still had a giant lead, a 33-point lead. And as uh, Patricia mentioned earlier, just to drill down a little deeper, half of Georgia Republicans say Trump is definitely the strongest candidate to defeat President Joe Biden next year. So, I mean, I I know there's still a a glimmer of hope and things can change and we're still a long way out. But right now, DeSantis has incredible ground to make up in Georgia, a place that you'd think he would have at least – some strength going into given all of Donald Trump's struggles in the courtrooms and in the electoral battles here in Georgia. Right. And you would think that DeSantis as the governor of a neighboring state, you know, there are people in South Georgia who shop in Florida and and get Florida media. But I think it shows the overall weakness in DeSantis and the fact that He never got the surge he expected. And quite frankly, as we hear from Trump supporters, which seems to be ringing true, is that, quite frankly, the more, especially Republicans, but really in general, the more people learn about DeSantis, the less interested they are. You know, it's not that it's going up, he's going down. So I think, you know, also DeSantis continues to have some rough weeks back at home. I don't think that helps him in a place like Georgia, where, again, you do have a lot of um, Georgia residents who get Florida news, especially down, you know, in the Brunswick area, in the Thomasville area. And I don't think they're getting the glowing remarks um, about the governor of Florida. So. That head-to-head matchup to me is really interesting because at the end of the day, the people who don't want Trump to represent the Republican Party, and I don't think that's a small number of Republicans, not necessarily a majority, but it's not necessarily a small number, but they don't have an alternative right now who comes close, and that matters. 
Yeah, and, and none of the alternatives have have even shown signs of unifying the never Trump or the non-Trump wing of the party. Bill, let's shift to how Republican voters feel about the indictments, because we also were able to poll, get a good good idea, because we waited until after the indictments were dropped to to launch this poll of hundreds of Republican voters. And UGA, by the way, conducted the poll. Well, Republicans remain very divided over the charges against Trump and his co-conspirators or co-defendants uh, charged with uh, the complex conspiracy to overturn his 2020 defeat. About half say they consider these charges very serious, but while 44 percent uh, kind of say they're insignificant, they brush them aside. That 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 shows you how deeply divisive th- this issue is among Republicans, especially those who do think they are a vulnerability in November. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, Greg. I would again say that if 50% think that the charges are serious, yes, I understand that most of them are willing to dismiss those charges right now and still support Trump. But again, I wonder if that's just a little crack in a chink in the armor that could grow larger at some point. Probably not. I get that. Um, But 84%, we've already said this, 84% of Republicans in the poll say this is a political uh, prosecution. And um, th- that mirrors what we've seen from Republicans across the country. And Patricia, two-thirds say they are not concerned this will make Donald Trump a weaker candidate against Joe Biden in 2024. Just as we've heard the former president himself say, hey, one more indictment will put me over the top. Uh, there are there are you know Republican advisors out there who actually are saying the same thing. <laughs> they, they are seeing this unifying effect, indictment after indictment. Yeah. And we, of course, all of us talk to um, Republican strategists, people in Georgia who know a lot about this electorate, know a lot about voter attitudes, and they're worried about a general election. They're worried about these indictments. They don't think that Donald Trump can win in November, but you just don't see that same anxiety among Republican voters. Part of that is when you also look at these crosstabs. Of all the numbers we've said, I can't remember if we said this one or not, but 61% of Republicans believe that there was widespread fraud in the last election. Mm -hmm. They believe he won the last election. They know he won in 2016. They don't think this guy can lose because they don't think this guy did lose. I want to get to another facet of the poll that Patricia mentioned a little bit earlier, but this, this surprised me. Two-thirds of Republicans say they're more likely to support a candidate who focuses on restoring law and order over one whose top priority is, and I'm quoting here, defeating woke ideology. So to me, that suggests that all these culture wars battles that we've been writing about and talking about and that that do get so much press, they might have limited potency when it comes to, you know, voters' decisions when they go to the actual ballot box. I think that is encouraging for people who care about democracy and wanting to see our government about things that matter and not just about the culture wars. However, I think that although people say they do want their candidates to focus more on issues like law and order, and I think they're, I don't think they're lying. I think they're telling the truth. I think that's how people like Brian Kemp win. That being said, I think that those candidates who rail about woke ideology tend to get a lot of attention. They tend to rile people up. They tend to raise a lot of money. And so the question is, can those people translate that into policy that still speaks to voters? I'm thinking about people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
because she's able to do so far. She's been able to do both lean really far into the culture wars, but still come up with talking points as far as what she wants to do in office that still speaks to Republican voters. So to me, that's kind of like the sweet spot. But I do think it's really interesting that people say if they have to pick, they'd rather pick someone who's about policy than about the culture wars. And Patricia, you know, we don't have to look far for examples, not just the presidential race, of course, but here in Georgia, you know, we saw Herschel Walker in the Senate campaign lead with culture wars issues, with LGBTQ issues, with transgender rights issues, the entire election campaign. Yeah. And I think that the results of that really spoke for themselves. When Herschel Walker talked about um, one of his big issues was, quote, uh, keeping boys out of girls' sports, of course, talking about transgender athletes and sports. Um, that was a hugely, hugely popular line in his crowd, but it really didn't move a number of voters over to his side when you talk about more moderate Republicans, um, even some independents or conservative Democrats. Public safety, policing, law and order, the, that is an issue that even crosses over to those moderate and independent, um, more independent Republicans. And we've seen that again and again. I think when you look at this presidential field, if you had to ask which candidate talks about wokeness the most, it's to me, it's for sure Ron DeSantis. He talked that is a leading edge concept for him, as well as Vivek Ramaswamy. I think um, Ramaswamy's very low result in this poll is the fact that most Georgians just haven't heard of him that much. And I mean, the third candidate in this poll is undecided and the rest of them are tied with a margin of error. I mean, they're all, you know, three, four, zero percent. Um, this is for the vice president, former vice president, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, who is a solid Republican senator, but just cannot crack the code here. And I think if you're not well known in this electorate already, Donald Trump's ongoing legal drama is just blotting out the sun. There is not enough media time and attention to really give these guys time to really gobble up oxygen um, other than those debates that he doesn't show up to and then counter programs against the very next day. Bill, we're going to have so much more about this poll in the AJC. We'll talk more about it in future podcasts. But one thing we do have to mention before we leave is our colleague Maya T. Prabhu has a big story about this facet of the poll today that I thought was maybe the most surprising. About 41% of state Republicans, quote, strongly oppose allowing gay and lesbian people to marry, while roughly one-fifth of respondents strongly support the idea. I think some voters, some Georgians thought this opposition was far behind us, but this is a reminder that there is still a significant block of, of Georgians who oppose gay marriage. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I think is worth pointing out there is while, Tia, as you pointed out, you know, you were happy to hear that woke was not a major concern in a national election. The Republicans said that's not what they want to hear from presidential candidates in the state legislature with representatives and senators representing very, in many cases, very conservative districts, things like um, an anti gay and lesbian sentiment have real power and can, in fact, have an influence when when they meet in session. So it's to me, it Patricia, it's beyond troubling that 
we thought that the LGBTQ community had come so far, had come into its own. Gay marriage was accepted. It was celebrated, in fact, by many straight Americans who maybe at a previous point in their lives didn't necessarily support gay marriage. And now we seem to be backpedaling. And it's personally to me a very troubling development. Well, yeah, I also think, though, it's a reality in a southern state like Georgia with religious conservatives, particularly outside the Atlanta metro area. This is not a representative poll of all Georgians, how all Georgians feel about gay marriage. I think that those results will be really, really different. Um, but I do think it is probably quite representative of, um, of religious conservative communities um, that have not changed their minds about a number of social issues and may even be coming kind of more dug in the more they sense that their world is changing. They don't want it to. And they kind of go back to the values they grew up with and the people they think they grew up with, although they probably grew up with more gay people than they knew at the time, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I would. I think you make a good point, Patricia, because I do think in some ways the conservative Christian movement is becoming more conservative. It's backtracking on some of the openness that we saw in recent years, particularly with the LGBTQ community. Too many people saw Mrs. Doubtfire and Big Mama's House for me to believe they all of a sudden have a problem with transgender people. Too many people was um, <laughs> with RuPaul back in the 90s for me to think that all and, and trans people have, you know, have existed and been visible. But I think it's when there was this perception that trans people, gay people, gay marriage, this perception of widespread acceptance being perceived again by people who are hard right and want straight nuclear family kind of stereotypes to persist. And quite frankly, they want their government to reinforce that. But I really think that a lot of these people pushing for that now weren't at the same place even a few years ago. And that includes Ron DeSantis, who got married at Disney. I just want to add one final thought about this. And Patricia, I get it. It is certainly true that this represents a minority of the total population of Georgia. And a lot of it is driven by conservative Christians. But 41 percent is not a niche constituency. That's a significant percentage of people who are now asking us to turn the clock back, perhaps on Oberfell, in which the Supreme Court made gay marriage constitutional legal. Um, We've heard talk about that from uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. So I'm just concerned that even though I get it doesn't represent the whole state, it troubles me such a large percentage have this sentiment. Let's take a quick break. Just ahead, we're going to talk about one of the next big hurdles for Fonnie Willis, seating a jury. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. With all the news and chaos surrounding the Trump indictment, it's going to be hard to keep up. So the AJC is putting all of our coverage into one place with our new 
Donald Trump Indictment Newsletter. Every Wednesday, you're going to have access to our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up free today at AJC.com slash Indictment Newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash Indictment Newsletter. Add that to the list of things I never thought I'd say. Okay, it's been more than seven months since the Young Slime Life trial started, and a jury still hasn't been selected. More than 2,000 potential jurors have been summoned to the Fulton County Courthouse since January, and months were largely spent addressing their hardships. This trial could be the longest in Georgia's history. Bill, the reason I'm saying that is we now have a new study by the Ipsos polling firm that found a majority of Americans, Democrats, Republicans, independents, said they don't think the courts would be able to seat impartial jurors for the upcoming Trump trials. Yeah, the New York Times uh, wrote a long piece on this yesterday, and and let me just quote a little bit from it. Uh, The lead says, at a time when trust in institutions is at an all-time low, according to Ipsos, Americans still seem to have faith in their fellow citizens serving on juries. Some 60% of Americans say they have at least a fair amount of trust in juries, which is higher than for any other group in the judicial system. Okay, that's fine, well and good. But then Ipsos digs down and asks uh, the people they surveyed, first, would you serve on a jury if you were qualified in a trial of Donald Trump? And uh, 54% said they would not want to serve on that jury. Only 45% uh, said they would. Also, to uh, pick up on what you were saying, Greg, 71% said they were not confident that a jury in any of the Trump trials would reach a verdict free of political bias. Yeah, and, and one reason why we might be seeing so many of those jurors reluctant to serve is the fact that they're facing intense scrutiny. Patricia, we saw the grand jurors in the Fulton County case. Their names were released. Uh, Some of them faced threats. There was definitely stepped up security. Uh, As Bill said, a majority of Americans told posters they weren't personally interested in serving on a jury for Trump. Here, State Senator talking about the threats being leveled against public officials right now, saying that he never thought the indictments would lead to such sorts of threats. No, especially because state legislators have very little to do with any of that. Well, I think there are going to be probably a couple of challenges for Fannie Willis in any effort to seat a Trump jury. The first of which is, depending on how many jurors we're talking about and in a single trial, if there are multiple, and how long is this thing going to go on? The Young Slime Life case, they were informed, would take many months, potentially. So I would think that this case as a RICO case would also take many months. You're going to have to find people who have no jobs so that they are going to be able to go without income or find some way to have their employer pay for them. No kids to pick up after school. You get excused from a jury if, you, if you're if you the um, kind of lead caretaker for children under six. And then just the political aspect of this, and I think this probably would be the most difficult part of it, um, is finding a jury that is not biased in some way, pro or con. Now, the grand jury, particularly a special grand jury, when they were seated to deal with this investigation, they all seem to have been seated comfortably 
and felt like they were able to do this job without major political bias. And a lot of them were way out of the loop in ways that you wouldn't really expect most people to be. They really didn't know a whole lot about the potential charges coming against Donald Trump and the others. But I think the biggest problem um, that I would see, I mean, if somebody called me for jury duty in this case, I would just be scared, to be honest with you. The threats that we have seen surrounding not just this case, which are significant. Um, This entire political period right now has been so intense and so full of threats against lawmakers, poll workers, Dominion workers, people who are seen on camera if there is a state Senate hearing going on. Um, it, It has been relentless. People involved or not involved are getting these death threats. It's a really scary time in public life. And there are just too many people out there ready and willing to lodge threats that may or may not be serious. And that is something that any juror would probably have to think about. I agree with Patricia. I think that, you know, the security threats, the threats we saw against elected officials, the threats we saw against the Fulton grand jurors after the indictments were made public is troubling because our government, our democracy, a big pillar of it is that people are innocent until proven guilty and that, you know, trials of a jury of their peers. And if you can't get enough peers to serve on a jury um, and you want diverse juries that represent your community and the harder that is, the harder it is for people to get justice, including, quite frankly, former President Trump. So I think we all should be concerned if there are issues with impaneling juries. Um, I think whether jur- the jury pool will be t- too politicized, I'm actually less concerned about that. Like, we're a bunch of political junkies. The folks who listen to this show are a bunch of political junkies, and we love you guys for it. But like, think about your best friends and your coworkers. And I had a friend say, why did he have to go to Georgia? I thought he was indicted in D.C. I'm like, girl, different case, you know, catch up. <laughs> so like most people are not, but regular folks struggle to be on jury duty. You know, they've got jobs, they've got kids, they're caretakers. So I was just going to point out, guys, a little bit of a, not a tangent, but if you want a really cool, sweet and funny look at the jury duty process, go look at the show Jury Duty oh, on Amazon Prime. Yes. It's yes. amazing. <laughs> it's um, So you guys have seen it. If you're listening, go. The show is called Jury Duty. You won't regret it. <laughs> By the way, Bill, the question I might get the most out of anything is, is Donald Trump really 215 pounds? <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. I, I, no, he's not. I, I, I think we learned that when you're booked into the to the Cook, I mean the Cook County, the Fulton County Jail, um, you self-report things like height and weight. At least, certainly in Trump's case, he did. One of the things I just say uh, to finish this off, if you're ready to move on, is you know when when Fannie Willis announced her indictments a couple Mondays ago, um, I, I was struck like many people were by the language she used, a conspiracy led by Donald Trump, a criminal enterprise, the language that we usually think of when we think of organized crime. And so 
This, in terms of the potential fear that people may have about serving on a jury to try Trump, lends itself to that same kind of trope, the way that people did not want to serve on juries for mob figures out of fear that something bad could happen to them. It's, it's uh, truly troubling. That's a good place to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the effort to defund the DA. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the AJC. Just a quick note, we just got a statement from Donald Trump, which we think is about the AJC poll, but it might be about something else. He says, big win in Georgia for President Trump. Georgia, which is absolutely a Republican state, is showing up big. And he goes on to say that he will win Georgia in 2024. And of course, we know that there is very little path, if any path at all, for Republicans to win the presidency without winning Georgia, Patricia. That is why we keep on saying that Georgia is a must win for Republicans. Democrats would love to have it. It's not a must win for them, but for Republicans, it is absolutely indispensable. Oh yeah. Chris Christie called it non-negotiable. And listen, Donald Trump, I mean, he's not wrong. That was a pretty big win in that poll. I mean, it was so decisive. Now the big question is, yeah, you I mean, my goodness, no one's even close. The big question Mark, in his statement is, is Georgia a Republican state anymore? Georgia is a battleground state, but it's up for grabs. Anyone can win. And that's why it's so great to cover politics in this state. But that's why um, Georgia Republicans, the again, those people who know what they're talking about, they're worried. Bill? He obviously doesn't see the chink in the armor that I do. Call <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill Nygut, Donald Trump. He'll fill you in. When he listens to this podcast, he will be illuminated on that one. Uh, okay, Tia, I want to talk about something you've been reporting on the last few days. The Republican-led effort to reprimand the DA for bringing charges against former President Trump in Fulton County is poised to expand right now. We've got state and federal lawmakers pursuing new efforts to sanction Fonnie Willis. Let's talk about what's happening in Washington. Congressman Andrew Clyde wants to use an upcoming appropriations bill to slash funding for Willis and two other prosecutors who are seeking charges against Donald Trump. Let's listen to what Andrew Clyde had to say about it. Which would uh, defund any federal prosecution. Now, that doesn't mean investigation. They can investigate all they want, but they cannot prosecute before the American people have their say in the matter. What as to who is going to become the next president of the United States. And then on the, on the state level, uh, it would deny all federal funding to any office, state or local office, that does the same thing, that prosecutes a major presidential candidate. Tia, you've also reported that Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is among the Republicans who urged the House Judiciary Committee to launch its investigation a couple days ago into how much federal dollars fund Fannie Willis's office and its interactions with White House officials. We don't know how these efforts, if these efforts end up gaining traction, but we know there's something we have to watch. They're serious efforts. Right. I mean, Andrew Clyde serves on the Appropriations Committee and he can make things rough there if he gets enough support. 
he can get amendments added. Now, here's let's put the caveats on here. The Senate and Joe Biden would have to sign off on a budget, so he's not going to defund Fannie Willis's office. He's not going to be able to use the appropriations process ultimately to push through those things that he wants. Those things are highly unlikely to actually become law or part of federal spending plans. However, what he can do is make things really, really uncomfortable in the House, which could shut down the appropriations process and therefore could shut down the government. Because again, without agreement, there is no government funding. Without government funding, agencies could be forced to close. So, you know, it also, I think, is part of this, again, bigger debate on the right when it comes to defending Trump. But also, I wonder, ultimately, if this becomes a debate on the right with how far they can go before it turns on them. There are plenty of, because right in Georgia, in Fulton County, Bonnie Willis is a Democrat, you know, heavily Democratic. But let me tell you, prosecutors' offices everywhere get federal funding. Law enforcement everywhere gets mm-hmm. federal funding. And some of these Republicans might want to investigate Joe Biden for better or for worse. And so it's just not practical. Um, and I think a lot of Republicans won't see Clyde's proposals as being practical. But again, he just needs a few people to agree with him to really uh, potentially cause some problems. And we know, of course, that the Congressman Clyde is not afraid to go up against Speaker McCarthy on big issues. Um, we've also asked Bonnie Willis's office how much exactly uh, funding it gets from the federal authorities. We haven't got an answer yet, but we know that that answer is going to be forthcoming in that House investigation. Anyway, Patricia, down here in Atlanta, Senate Majority Leader Steve Gooch told me in an interview that Republican leaders could hold legislative hearings here into whether Willis is, in Steve Gooch's words, using her position in a political manner uh, for charging Trump and his allies on this far-reaching conspiracy. So I think this could be a dominant theme of next year's legislative session as well. Absolutely. And we have already seen Republican lawmakers looking for different levers to exert control and authority over locally elected district attorneys. And that was a big part of the reason that they passed the law to create the upcoming and forthcoming um, prosecutorial oversight commission. That's going to be a GOP appointed commission. It has not been formally created yet and that they don't have all of its members and they don't have Uh, meetings and a schedule yet that should be getting going in October. And multiple Republican members have said that Fannie Willis will be the first person that they report to this commission and ask to start to look into what she's doing. There is also a separate effort that's, uh, as we've said many times, going to go absolutely nowhere by Colton Moore, a state senator, a freshman, to call a special session to hold hearings about either defunding Fannie Willis's office or just removing her altogether. That's just not feasible. There won't be a special session. But I do think um, asking the commission, the Oversight Commission, to look into Fannie Willis, and the question specifically will be something we heard ahead of time as she was convening the special grand jury. Is she losing manpower? Is she using funding to focus too much on Donald Trump and not enough 
on the violent crime that's happening in Fulton County, including moving through that backlog of um, significant violent crime that they're still working through. So we're going to hear a lot. I don't know that any of it is really going to stick. Certainly, she's not going to change what she's doing, but Republicans are using every lever that they've got. Mm -hmm. And Steve Gooch is among several Republican leaders who have already condemned Colton Moore for calling that special session. Basically, is just saying you're giving you're giving Trump supporters this fantasy that is not going to happen because it needs Democratic support in order to not just call a special session, but then to ultimately impeach Fonnie Willis. It is just not going to happen. But Bill, there have been warnings that this sort of rhetoric is really ratcheting up the tension under the Gold Dome and, and, and beyond as some lawmakers are getting threats. Uh, the GBI sent an open letter to all 236 Georgia lawmakers basically saying, hey, if you're getting, if you're, if you're getting harassing phone calls, if you're getting threats, please report them to authorities. We need to investigate it. And I've talked to several lawmakers, some publicly, but most of them privately, who've told me that they're getting serious threats, harassing phone calls, suspicious activity, all sorts of things that really reminds me of, of the, the vitriol around the 2020 election a couple of years ago. Yeah, it makes you uh, think of Ruby Freeman and Che Moss, the two Fulton County election workers who were uh, uh, threatened in so many ways, run out of their houses at one point uh, because Rudolph Giuliani and Donald Trump accused them of uh, feeding fake ballots into the Fulton County voting machinery, accounting machinery, which, of course, wasn't true at all. But it also occurs to me, you know, this is another example of the way in which Trump and the people who are his adamant supporters have undermined for a number of years now our most precious public institutions. I mean, you go back to COVID and Donald Trump undermined public health institutions, the CDC, Anthony Fauci, people who had been uh, respected and organizations respected for the work they did in public health during the uh, 2020 election challenges, undermining the very fundamentals of democracy, saying that the election was rigged. And now, in the way he is attacking the uh, special counsel, Jack Smith, Fonnie Willis, and others are investig now launching these investigations of Fonnie Willis. It's undermining law enforcement and the judiciary. It, it's just that sort of campaign has become all-encompassing in all of the most precious institutions in our country. Well, that is all the time we have for today's show. Coming up on Friday's episode, I remind you that we love to hear your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That is 404-526-2527. Producer Shaney B and his legion of interns is waiting to hear from you. A massive, massive legion. You know, as we have an expanded podcast team, do you have an expanded intern team to take all the phone calls? <laughs> I'm telling you, we had to we had to order more lines from AT and T because it's just it's overwhelming. It's crazy. We had to order more interns. <laughs> we had to order more, <laughs> we had to order more <laughs> interns. Yes. Well, thanks again for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. We could not do the show without you. You can find all the links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. There's lots of them. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever news breaks, and soon every day, every weekday at least, Monday through Friday. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. 
ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.